On this very special first episode of Big Time Fresh, I talked to my mom about her days as a lead singer for a classic rock cover band in the early 80s. I hear for the first time that she and a bunch of 19-year-olds piled into a van and booked gigs across the country. Enjoy the show! Welcome guys to Big Time Fresh. My name is Bella Mars and I'm so excited that you're here today. Uh, This is my very, very first episode. So of course, thought the best person to be on my very first episode is my mother. Uh, If you know me or if you don't know me or if you follow me, you've probably seen my post about growing up in a very musical family. So, uh, So my mom is my first guest. So thank you for being here, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, I know Papa was also a part of this during this time of the early 80s. How did you guys meet? First, we met in a Japanese class at the University of Kansas. We're both half Japanese, but he's he's much more fluent in the language than I was. And for some reason, I took intensive Japanese and intensive Spanish in the same semester. (laughs) (laughs) I think I dropped out of that class. But why Spanish at the time? I don't know. I always had, uh, oh, come to find out later in 2015, (laughs) it all made sense when I did a DNA test, but um, I always had an affinity. I wanted to learn Spanish. And so um, I stayed with that for two years of intensive Spanish. But I met I met your father in the Japanese class. And one day, I remember this pretty clearly. I um, I had already been in a in a band. I'd already uh, I went to Japan, and uh, my mother got me a session at a recording studio at Canon Records, and I was. Had I didn't no, know that. Yeah, I had no experience whatsoever. She knew a producer at NHK, which is like NBC or CBS, you know, and um, in the United States equivalent to. But um, so the guy said, and I think it was 18, and the guy said, or 17, the guy said, oh, you have a great, really great voice, but you can tell that, you know, I was inexperienced. And I was experienced. So he said, go, go back and get some experience and then come back and see us because my intention was to, to when I finished high school, I wanted to study linguistics in, in, and um, go to Japan. And this woman, the, one of the producers said that she would get me a job and, and then I could you know pursue the singing anyway. So I came back and the first thing I did, I was living in Lawrence, Kansas and the first thing I did was go find I had absolutely no idea so how am I going to find a band to join so then it was uh, booking agencies were pretty pretty uh, common easy to so find that would be just you contact them and they hook you up or how did it work like well yeah they could they could hook you up I I contacted them and I said look um, I'm an inexperienced singer, but I want to sing. And um, I would like to, you know, know if you have any bands that I can audition with. Uh, and happened to be, yes, 
so and that was the band that Darren was in and Marty was in and um, and then I called I called Darren and Marty because they were looking for a female vocalist because back then we're talking 79 to 80 you know um, there were lots of gigs for live music live music back then and also it was like disco and and you know pop, yeah. pop music so they auditioned me they liked me and I got the gig so fast forward to one day I was walking into uh one of the dorms at at KU and I was singing just being obnoxious and singing a Linda Ronstadt song very loud, very loudly. And the guy at the, the desk happened to be a friend of your father's and also a guitar player and said, whoa, you have a really great voice. We need a singer. Would you like to sing in our band? And I said, oh, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I'll try out or whatever. And... I can't, I can't remember all the details, but they needed a guitar player for the band too. Yeah. Um, this other band and the one that you were in for, the, first? yeah, the, the, the one that your father and I were, were finally, you know, were into together. Um, and so he came and auditioned and they liked him. We couldn't find a good drummer. So Darren who was guitar player ended up playing the drums and then your father came in to play the guitar for the band one one bass one guitar bass guitar uh yeah bass guitar drums and singer yes some events may have may not be accurate <laughs> in, in order because it's been a long time <laughs> so that was that was 1980 and you went to you were a student there living on campus mm -hmm. when we we got going and got rehearsing and everything started sounding good and you know we changed the whole concept of your, when your father came in it kind of changed the whole concept of the band because they were more like top 40 and and your father started bringing in Jimi Hendrix and yeah. Led Zeppelin and you know so we kind of got into a more you know, heavy mode, but still had a really good mix. Was that more popular? It depends on, uh, it depended on where, where you played. So, so, and with us, yes, because um, when I was with the first band, it was top 40 and I, I toured around with them, you know, from state to state, but we were playing like hotel, hotel circuits and club circuits, you know, where we would stay at the Hilton in and for three weeks and we would play. What? Yeah. And so almost like a residency. Yeah. For short, short term. So we would play three weeks at a time at, at different hotels. And, you know, and then when your father came in to the band, we changed our whole format. And then what we ended up doing was playing you know, kind of weekend gigs, sometimes a couple of weeks at a time, just depends, but we were playing, you know, bars, more yeah. bars and different venues and, and opening up for some other bands and things like that. What other bands? <laughs> this is so cool. I didn't well, know most of this stuff. I mean, there were some, some 
bands that I know we opened up for Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids. <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> quote <so> lame. <laughs> and that, there, yeah, that was that was. What venue? What kind of venue was that? That was that was a pretty a, a decent. It was like an amp outdoor amphitheater type thing, and um, I think it was in uh, Blue Springs, Missouri. And um, we played the Opera House in Lawrence, Kansas. And I can't remember some of the names of the bands that we, you know, we had opened for at the time. And then we, sometimes we just headlined, you know, but. Um, at like an amphitheater? No, at the, at the Opera House. And then, you know, we played, yeah, we played for weddings and graduations and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and you know and stuff wedding singer (laughs) (laughs) it's hard for me to wrap my head around because they don't even have bands anymore let alone residencies at hotels you know um yeah opening for Especially, you're a cover band too, right? Yeah, I was a cover band, and basically, that's that's just what it was. You know, it was really not as as glamorous as you know people who. But it's kind of it's kind of a it's interesting now because, like you said, that there's nothing. People just don't do that anymore. Yeah, you just don't. You know, unless you're at a certain level, people just don't get in a band and go travel around from from state to state you know filling gigs and one of the things is interesting like when we were playing in the band when we first started playing we got the band together and darren was playing drums instead of guitar pedro was playing the um the you know the lead guitar we changed our whole our whole um repertoire what the uh booking agent did was there were there were bands he had a certain certain number of bands that would you know that he 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 worked with and they would go contract from city to city you know bar to bar and then bands as they do break up yeah and so you know fight and break up especially when you're on the road so long so they would fight they would break up and so in order for him not to be in breach of contract we would fulfill the contract of the band of that week so our name the name of our band changed like you know from from gig to gig sometimes so one 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 time we could be Mad Max, one time we could be Snowblind, next week we could be somebody else, you know, just so that our booking agent wouldn't be in breach of contract. What? So that was, that was funny. So you could have different names. Did you have to promote on the street, like hand out flyers or just show up like it? Like uh, back in the early days? Yeah. That was mostly our booking agent and our sound man. And did the booking agent take a, a cut? Oh, yeah. What, did, what kind of cut? I yeah. don't think it's, you know, I think it was maybe 15%. Man, you know. So the music industry has gone downhill. Tremendously for yeah. the musician because gigs were abundant. You could make a living. 
you know, you could make a living doing that and um, not a great, you couldn't put a kid through college, but you could certainly, you know, survive. The way I see it, the pop music is, there's no drummer, bass, lead guitar, singer. It's all electronic. Right. And they, you know, take advantage of all everybody. Right. And so they're saying the music industry is dying and hearing this. I look at it different ways because because it was certainly those kinds of gigs are gone. Um, it's too hard. And, and I can say it from... The other perspective, as a venue, uh, as a venue owner, like we had that we owned the restaurant, we we try um, and we tried to do live music. Yeah. Um, you know, booking live bands, and it was just you know the bands would come in and they'd make these atrocious demands for really? money. Yeah, they said, oh, we want you know fifteen hundred dollars to play here <laughs> for one night, and we would just look at them and go, good luck. And, you know, in, in the Bay Area, there are so, so many bands and bands would go to the restaurants, but they wouldn't even pay. Yeah. I, I mean, from what I know, nobody gets paid. Yeah, they wouldn't pay. And, and we were guilty of it. I mean, it's, it's a shame. I was very conflicted because I was in charge of, you know, booking these bands. And I have to say, you could play here, but, you know, the best we could do is copy a meal, some drinks and and help you pass the tip jar around to see if anybody will pay you. Yeah. But, you know, it was just very difficult in every aspect of owning, keeping the restaurant running and managing the bar. If we would have paid them and, you know, even three, four, three to $500, we would not make any money that night. Where did you tour? Like what? Well, we were out of, we're based out of, Kansas so then we went from you know all the way up to Minnesota to the border of Canadian border um International Falls Minnesota there's a big club there and then we went all the way down uh down south to Texas Jesus to the good old state what uh what are we talking crowd size wise most like I said most of his bar that the bar up in International Falls was was pretty big so you know in my mind in my memory there could have been 100 people in the crowd um what did, what did they know they were coming to see rock music rock music and we we um build ourselves as as um classic rock with you know, a Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Led Zeppelin, Rush. Is it because you had a you're a female lead singer? No, it's hard to say. I don't think there are as many female rock singers. Do you think that made it easier to, to book some of these gigs? Is it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And you know, I did a lot of. Uh, I did both male and female uh, lead vocals. So for the Zeppelin and the Rush, mm-hmm. you know, to the Janis Joplin and, and Linda Ronstadt, Pat Benatar, you know. Did you do free shows? Did you have to do free shows? We we would volunteer maybe, we would do a like a donation once in a while for, for, for fun, yeah, for, for charity, we've done that. We played a big outdoor gig 
at Potter's Lake in Lawrence. And that was a pretty big crowd at that set thing at the University of Kansas. So how do you get word those so from the booking agent and they're just like, you won't get paid, but um yeah, I believe so. And then our uh sound man, who is very much a businessman, he kind of helped manage and book a lot. So he might have signed us up for that. I had I have no idea because I used to I would just show up. <laughs> <laughs> I would show up and help. Okay. I would help. <laughs> Wait, so you had a sound guy also? But a sound man and a light man. And these guys were father, uh, knew them from this engineering fraternity and in, in nerd. Yeah, nerd. Uh, and they were both pretty nerdy. And um there's a story that we that would go go with that, but some other time. But some other time. <laughs> <laughs> how we got our whole lighting system but um anyway that would be like you made it to the to the top is get paid for all your gigs <laughs> <laughs> yeah having a gig and getting paid for yeah. it uh travel across state lines um and you had all the equipment to haul around right and now people you know rappers just show up and they still don't get paid yeah yeah, we had we had quite a bit of equipment, and we had uh, six people total because we took the sound man and the light man with us all the time. So then we had, you know, and and by today's standards, not a big deal because again, we're we're a cover band, you know. But but it was kind of a you know a big deal back then. We were, you know, very. Uh, we were able to sustain our, our living and, you know, have a good time and do things that we enjoy doing. And I mean, the fact that we, we could get paid $1,500, you know, for, uh, for a weekend or something like what? that. In the eighties. Yeah. Depending on, and, and sometimes shit. we would do, we would do, we would do a, uh, we actually got, high school prom gigs really yeah <laughs> and, and they paid they paid well so <laughs> wow so it was yeah it was quite it was quite the uh it was quite the um quite yeah, the time you know thing. thinking about being 18 and 19 years old and just being on the road and doing that you know is, is, no cell is, phones no cell no phones credit cards. didn't have to call mom <laughs> very <laughs> often all right i'll see you when i see you yeah yeah yeah. yeah it was it was definitely a different time but you know when i think about today too some so many of the opportunities that you know it's kind of a trade-off because some of the opportunities that i see people going on youtube and you know, making uh, making their videos. I see just incredible talented people, you know, that they would never ever have a chance to even be heard anywhere, not for this kind of platform. Yeah. Certainly not in our game. So in in their case, some of them will probably be wanting to make a big, but maybe for for the rest of them, it's just a creative outlet outlet yeah um and for us it was just a bunch of fun oh my gosh that's so creepy and it's not like we were we were drug addicts or you know you know after a while it does become a job that it 
it kind of attracts those types of, it kind of goes hand in hand with those kinds of problems, right? And um, I remember being, I think, I think we were coming towards the end of, of the life of our, our band. It was never intended to be a full-time thing, um, especially with your, or a long-term thing, especially with your father. He always had the PhD in mind. And, and when he took off a year, I don't know if it was a year or a semester um, from college, his mother, Bachi, your your grandmother. Yeah. They tore my Oh my God. They just like, what are you doing? Throwing your life away. <laughs> but he was always, he was always bound for for that. You know, this was never gonna be. And I remember going to a bar so sometimes when you're in a town I think we were in Iowa like Des Moines or something and there's like three three venues in the same block right and um so each band like on their break would go and check out another band and then so we get to know each other and if we're playing a couple sometimes we'll play two weekends in a row or something like that we get to know each other and we would go and, and do things like place you know get together for a softball game or, oh, or something like cool. that yeah and I just remember I remember there were a couple there was there was one band and these guys were probably in their 40s uh-huh. and I I remember you know, watching them play and just kind of seeing their aging bodies and because oh, <laughs> that was 20 and 40 was a old 40 was not the 40 new. yeah yeah 40 <laughs> was the, the 40 was the, the 60 40. back in the 80s <laughs> so i said oh my god i do not want to be like these people when i'm that age <laughs> so i was out you know i was like i gotta find something else but i always kept which i did you know and then and then i but i always kept music and being involved with musicians and that in my life all the time did you feel like it was you were it came to you like all of the opportunities and to be involved with music came to you randomly or were you actively seeking no I was always actively seeking out you know I moved around a lot as you know and and every place I went every place I moved to I sought out musicians and you know fortunately um was able to to work with a lot of musicians but unfortunately not able to to you know go for it all the way because in order to do that you you kind of have to sacrifice a lot and almost everything yeah. you know yeah because you can't do it half-assed you know you're either in it or you're out and so you either do it a hobby but if you want to make it big then you know so if if you anyone wanted to make it big big those days are over <laughs> yeah uh, unless you you know just dazzle somebody like they get a lot of followers and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and now they do these things called 360 deals so the artist is basically give uh 60 of his earnings are going to other people Manager gets 20% off or like 15% off everything, whether or not um, you they booked it or you booked it. Then there's a business manager. Then there's tour manager. Then it's like, is it worth it? <laughs> no. I, and, and I then, wonder if, if 
people think about, oh, I want to be famous the way we used to think about, oh, I want to be famous, you yeah. know, because we were looking at Van Halen and, yeah. you know, Aerosmith and, you know, Pat Benatar and Hart, you know, during those times. And, and uh, yeah. they were, they were pumping out hit, hits when we were on the road and we were just copying those, <laughs> covering those hits. <laughs> and, um, and a I lot of bands could be high demand though yeah. especially back then you can't hear it really on the radio at when um on demand live or even it was different yeah it's definitely different now i mean i i think the perception and feel of cover bands then was more greatly appreciated because you know you would you would go and always fun people would go just oh there's a band playing oh let's go see them yeah let's go check them out because it was fun to go see a band. And then if they're playing the songs that you really like and they do it well, mm -hmm. then it's like bonus, you know? So it was like, oh. So we had a pretty decent following, you know? Really? In, in, yeah, in the um, in the great <laughs> state of Kansas. <laughs> How could you tell without? Well, be, because people would say, hey, you know, hey, you're from Mad Max. Yeah, you know, and people would, follow you on instagram yeah right <laughs> <laughs> there's wow. no such thing but um yeah but it was it was different you know it was, it was very different and now if you're at a cover band they're like people are thinking you are just kind of washed out <laughs> washed out and that was the thing when I, we were we were hiring people to play at a restaurant in almeida um and every band that was a cover band were like people my age and so, <laughs> so the men would translate into these 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 gray-haired you know kind of pot belly guys that that you know played well or sometimes not but certainly half deaf so you tell them to turn down you know and you're playing in the restaurant you tell them please turn down your amp and go down for about two seconds and go right back up because they say they can't hear <laughs> because they've <there's, laughs> been in them for so long um so then when did you do the i know you did was there a track that you sang over that was i did i did i ventured out at a couple of things i um i collaborated with this i don't know what you'd call them now it's kind of kind of grunge and um uh heavy alternative kind of kind of uh genre and um i i met these guys i don't remember how but again seeking probably through an ad i was seeking out musicians like news newspaper yeah newspaper oh or newspaper and or there might have been craigslist at that time i'm not sure but mid 90s no, this was this was late nineties. I'm getting candy. So, uh, so um, I collaborated them, with them. They had a drummer and a bass player, and so they had a bass line and the, and the drums. And I um, I put a melody to their to about seven or eight songs. I put a melody and some lyrics. We found a guitar player. And then I sang those songs. So that was that. I did some work with a, he was from Zimbabwe, but he 
had a reggae band, mm. Dr. Mooch. And then I met some really talented, um, extremely talented uh, musicians and highly trained musicians from, one was a keyboard player from Spain, two guitarists from Argentina, a drummer from Cuba, and there was a bass player uh, just from, you know, America. This was when I was down in Miami, and so I started experimenting with, with jazz. You think, uh, seeing how the, how the industry is now, that it was a good decision not to go well in? Yes, yeah. It's too, I mean, your chances of, your chances of things and, and and for that it was just like way too labor intensive did you have to promote on the street like hand out flyers or to show up like it like uh back in the early days yeah that was mostly our booking agent and our sound man he ended up owning his own sound company in missouri the bass player um stayed in lawrence kansas and he became a real estate agent what do you call air conditioning and then our drummer the guy that played drummer who played the drums who used to play guitar ended up playing with tim mcgraw he had a career with tim mcgraw for about 20 years i think so so he made um by uh I don't know. By the definition, I suppose he made it. Yeah. Unless money was part of his definition of making it. No, I don't think so. You know, I remember we used to have conversations about making it big, you know, just out of boredom. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody was nobody was serious or ever imagined to be serious and talking about, oh, wouldn't it be fun to be on the David Letterman show or, yeah. you know, and he actually did it, and he played in auditoriums and wow. all kinds of things like that. He had, he hit the big time with, you know, Tim McGraw back then. Did you did you feel like you wanted to never make that? it big? I always wanted to be behind the scenes running the show. I feel like it was what's super cool and like unique to other people was like, yeah, I did this. I know how to play this. Oh yeah, my mom does this. You're right, and other people do perceive it as, as something uh, something cool because I I have said uh, I've told a few people and um, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's, oh wow, you're you're you have such a cool you know background, yeah. So man, that's awesome, but also really sucks for music as a whole. I feel like popularity and being in being on Instagram and the purpose for going to concerts and, and everything now is because you like them as an artist and they're popular and they're famous and then you want to go take videos there for what to post them you know it's like <laughs> so is well, I was there and I saw this yeah <laughs> look guys I'm live it's just so it's disappointing. I think there's there's a much bigger gap of how you feel uh, your reputation is to other people because before nobody fucking cared. 
because you show up and you don't even know the person and you've never seen them before. I know. And, and the great thing is like, you can leave your, you could leave and nobody knows anything about your, your private life. Nobody knows anything about anything. You can go, they want to contact you. They have to go to a damn pay phone yeah. and call you up with a quarter. After you know. looking you up in a phone book. <laughs> so all of that it's you know it's just a different time and I and the end was imminent with that oh what was that what was that um platform back in the Napster yes (laughs) the end was imminent when that that came about it's like all right done yeah it's done the end is here the end is near you know. The streaming companies now get like 60%, some crazy amount. So, you know, they'll be streaming, the artists will be streaming their song. And like after six months, they'll be like, oh, I made $2.50 <laughs> off of royalties or off of streams. People, you know, people still, I, I, I don't understand it, but people still are paying to record albums. What would you suggest them to do, like, do it at home? I just, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's so weird. I'm I'm just kind of out of touch with that, with the whole, with the way things are, are, are are done now. I'm not, I'm not um, close-minded to it. I want it, you know, I'm, I'm more curious, even though, uh, you know, I'm older and I've been through all that, but I'm more curious. I want to know how things work and, yeah, but it's just, you know, when you get wrapped up in, in the, just the motions of life now now music is for enjoyment and and what I love is that I can access any kind of music from anywhere and any minute of any moment of of the day you know and that's something we definitely take it for granted yeah I mean when I just you know say Alexa play this or play that and you know I'm always looking for new music and new artists just to hear what other people are doing and just to know that I can do that all the time I think it's just you know I think it's great you know back then it was just really you know just going at it with a shovel and a a pick and a shovel you know but (laughs) in comparison (laughs) but it was fun and everybody minded their business so that was the best thing there are people who are really passionate about playing the playing the music and they want to perform they're also passionate about performing and there's no place to be so yeah but i i consider myself fortunate because in alameda we have festivals you know i got in, involved with with the community and and events and, and festivals and things and we created a stage it's hard trying to figure out how to make everything work because the whole thing about music is not even about making it it's about promoting and branding which is unfortunate too you are the product and you have to market yourself and that that's if you don't know how to do that, you're a uh, shit out of luck. And you have to be good because if you're not, everybody will help you have a bad <laughs> night. It's going, it's going viral. Oh. <laughs> so people are not, not that forgiving, you know, it's, they're, yeah. not, they're not that forgiving. And people still want to hear live music, you know. People don't even think to hire a band anymore. Yeah. You know, nobody would hire a band to play for like, put your iPhone up there. 
put it on shuffle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for being my first episode. Yay. And I think it's uh, when yours comes out, then we'll do the same thing. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Heroes Essentials. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have more to talk about, but we'll save it. Cool. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, check out CrossTheStreamsMedia.com to hear more episodes of this podcast and the other shows on the Cross the Streams Network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorite shows. Visit CrossTheStreamsMedia.com for more information. See you next time.